You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. We are wrapping up a series of messages on the heart. And when we say the heart, we're talking about the seat of our emotions, the seat of our will. Scripture often speaks of the heart, referencing God forgiving us for the sin within our heart. We speak in terms of saying, giving our heart to God. And we're not talking about that bundle of muscles and valves that pumps blood through our body, but the seat of our emotions and who we are. And all of this kind of springs from a passage where Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees and they ask Him, what is the greatest command? What's the greatest law of them all? Now the reason they're asking that is not because they really want to know, but because they're trying to trip Jesus up and get into an argument with Him. And every passage we've looked at through this series, we've been looking at Jesus having these conversations with the Pharisees. But Jesus responds, He says, The greatest command, the first law, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. He's saying, love God with all of who you are. And everything else leans upon this. And everything, if, in other words, if you get that right, all these other things will fall into place. And the reason that we've seen an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees in each one of these messages through July, as we've been talking about the heart, is because they're ripe with truth, with Jesus pointing back to the heart again and again. You see, the Pharisees were these religious leaders that wanted everybody to obey the commands that they obeyed. They wanted to legislate morality. They wanted to force everyone to do what they were doing. And so they were focused on the outward appearance. They were focused on things like traditions and holidays and clothing. But Jesus was pointing past all of that to the heart. The the Pharisees were focused on the facade, this outward exterior, the front But Jesus was constantly directing them back to the heart. He was dedicated to making a difference here in the heart. Because all of this will change. The disagreement that Jesus is constantly having with the Pharisees is is about the difference between the, the outside shell and the inner life. You know that you can buy a car that has a brand new paint job, but on the inside the engine has all kind of problems, right? Some of you bought a car like that before, right? Somebody gave it a fresh coat of paint on the outside, made it look attractive in a picture, and then sold it even though it had these major internal problems. Jesus is saying, listen, we're not just focused on getting a fresh coat of paint on the outside. We want to see God make a difference here on the inside. So in that opening message, Jesus says, love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. The Pharisees didn't do that. They didn't love God with all that they are. They loved God with their actions, but inside their hearts were full of anger and bitterness. And for that reason, when Jesus does things that they don't like, when He breaks the Sabbath in their eyes, as we saw last week, they conspire to kill Him. Think about that. They're saying, you're not holy enough, so we're going to get together and put together a plot to kill you. That That was what they were doing. And they couldn't see this major contrast and irony between the outside and the inside. They kept all the rules, but their hearts were full of rage and envy. 
What we've tried to emphasize these last several weeks is that spiritual transformation isn't the keeping of a list of rules, but spiritual transformation, spiritual growth is when our heart is changed, when our hearts are transformed, when things are different in here. All the rest of it will follow. The second message we talked about, where do we start? How do we begin? We talked about the fact that we'll never get where we're headed if we don't recognize where we're at. We don't face who we are. We talked about looking at our families and our past and how that has shaped us and formed us. And if we're not honest about that, we're never going to get where it is that God is trying to take us. And then last week we talked about God's gift of rest and slowing down so that we have this time for God to work in us. That if God is going to make this difference in our hearts. It's not going to be something that's zapped. It's something that that God molds and makes because disciples aren't microwaved. They're marinated. Today I want to talk to you about when we slow down and we are marinated. What is it that we slow down to interact with? And what do we slow down to marinate in? You know, if you want to prepare some meat, a great step is to marinate it. But it's not just the point of marinating it. You ought to marinate it in something good. Alright? So if you marinate a steak in oil, motor oil, it's not going to be good. If you marinate a steak in something toxic, it's not going to be good. And so slowing down and giving ourselves rest like we talked about last week, it's not going to give us much benefit if we're marinating in things that are toxic. If you take time off to slow down and then you just fill your mind with what this world is offering, all of the stuff that this world is putting out there for us to binge watch and listen to, what are we marinating in? Marinating in garbage. And so when we take time, when we slow down, what is it that we need to interact with? And so today I'm going to talk to you about what it is that we need our souls to marinate in. And I know that through this series of messages, there's been some of you that are like, all right, Pastor Daniel, I get it. What do I need to do? Give me something on a checklist that I can do because I'm action and task oriented and you've been talking about emotions and touchy-feely stuff and I'm just ready for some stuff to do. I'm going to give you something to do today. But I want to be clear before we get started that this is not something that you check off of a list and you're done. Spending time with God and Him transforming who we are. It's not something that we accomplish across a week of study. It's not something that is, it happens through a sermon series. It's not something that happens through a retreat. What I'm going to point to is a manner of being a way of life. If you're going to experience spiritual health, which brings about emotional health in your life, it's going to be a way of life, not something that you accomplish. Let me give you two analogies to help you kind of see what I'm trying to drive home here. Many of you garden, and you know that in a garden there is some initial heavy lifting in the beginning. There's the tilling of the ground, the clearing of the ground, tilling it, breaking up the soil, and then the planting of the seed. But once that is done, you're not done, are you? There's still more work that will be accomplished as that starts to sprout and you keep the weeds from overtaking it and you make sure that the animals don't get in and eat all of your fresh produce. There's work to constantly be done on your garden and as you continue to do that work, you reap the reward, the fruit 
of that garden. That's one analogy. The other analogy would be a marriage. When you said, I do, you did not say, I'm done. Right? Now that's how we treat it a lot of times. We come in, we, in front of a group of friends and we say, I do, and what we mean is, I'm done. I got her. Right? I pinned him down. He's mine now. Right? And we stop trying. And what is that a recipe for? Disaster. Because a relationship that isn't cultured, a relationship that isn't, that isn't cultivated and invested in and time devoted to is going to head in the wrong direction really fast. And just like putting time and energy into your garden brings about greater blessing and reward, and just as putting time and effort into your marriage makes it deeper, and the love that you have years down the road in this relationship that you've been pursuing, it's greater than the love you had even when you said, I do. And just as that is possible in relationships and gardens, regular care of our relationship with the Lord can bring about greater blessings and deeper meaning than we can even imagine. When we come to Christ, we're not done. We come to Christ and He saves us from our sin, but there is so much more that He wants to accomplish in our hearts and lives. So let's look at this passage in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we're going to be reading at verse 30, but the very beginning of John chapter 8, just to give you the broader context, the Pharisees bring this woman to Jesus at the synagogue. They bring her to church and they throw her in front of Jesus, in front of the synagogue, and they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Think about what they just said. We caught her in the act of adultery. Now the first question that I have is, where's the man? They just brought the woman, threw her down at Jesus' feet. Now the reason they're doing this is they're hoping that Jesus will say, she needs to be executed, which would have been the Jewish customary law. Or, forgive her. Either way, they could say, man, Jesus is so harsh, or Jesus doesn't care about the law. But how does Jesus answer them? By writing in the dirt. And they say, Jesus, what do you have to say about this matter? And Jesus looks up and says, he that is without sin, throw the first stone. And he goes back to writing in the dirt. The passage tells us that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones. They came ready. They had their stones in hand to kill her by stoning. They were ready. And one by one, they drop their stones and walk away. And once again, Jesus has pointed back at their own hearts. Jesus looks up at the woman and says, Where have all your accusers gone? She says, There's none left, Lord. No one found fault against me. And Jesus said, Neither do I, but go and sin no more. So that's the context of what's happening here. Jesus begins to teach again to the people in the synagogue, and something really powerful happens in verse 30. Look at verse 30 of John chapter 8. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Jesus is talking about the fact that he's the Son of God, that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And as he's speaking these words, many people come to believe in him. 
They've seen this powerful display of grace, seeing Jesus' wisdom and authority. They put their faith in Him. So then Jesus speaks directly to, to these that have put their faith in Him in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My word, then are ye My disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered Him, This is the crowd again. We are Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Let me just point out a couple of things about these verses. Jesus says, Those of you that have believed... If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now, he doesn't say, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples. He says, you are my disciples indeed. They had believed. He says, if you are, you are truly followers of me, you will follow after my words and my truth. Jesus isn't saying, if you obey this list, then you've made it. No, he's saying, if you have believed, you're going to want to follow my words. You're clearly my disciples so then they respond and they say we we're the we're the sons of abraham and we've never been enslaved why are you talking about us being free and i want you to get a hold of this so bad jesus says if you sin you're a servant of sin what jesus is saying to them is you are enslaved and you don't even realize it Because you have sinned, you are servants of sin. You are enslaved to sin. The most important truth you can learn this morning, if you're not free, is that you're not free. Jesus says to them, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And then they, in that very moment, learn something that will lead to their freedom. This passage fulfills itself. They say, we're not even slaves, Jesus. What are you talking about? He goes, you don't even know that you are slaves. Once again, they're thinking about the outside. They're thinking about the literal. And Jesus says, I'm talking about your heart. I know that you're not slaves on a plantation or in the fields, but I know that your hearts are enslaved to sin. And if you will know my truth, it will make you you free. Friend, if you're here today and you say, hey, I'm, I'm not a slave. This isn't for me. My, my life's in pretty good shape, Pastor Daniel. You might be the most helpless slave here. Because the most helpless slave is the one who doesn't even know he's enslaved. Doesn't even realize that she is a slave. Some of you say, well, Pastor Daniel, I have a any chains on my life. I'm not addicted to anything. I haven't been incarcerated for anything. What about your heart? Is your heart addicted to envy? Is your heart addicted to lust? Are you addicted to pornography? Are you addicted to purchasing things so you feel that you have worth? There are all kinds of addictions that could be grasping a hold of your heart that may not look that bad on the outside. It may be that your addiction hasn't caused you to lose your job or be incarcerated, but you may be enslaved all the same. These people that had these religious lifestyles, 
They looked great to everyone else, but they were enslaved to their rage. Jesus is saying, you are enslaved to your pride, your greed, your anger. When we're come, when we come into contact with God's Word, we're freed. But the way that we are freed is first we realize that we're enslaved. We realize that we need to be freed. And these people say to Jesus, why are you talking about the truth making us free? We're not enslaved. And Jesus says, oh, but you are. You are. And it may be that you don't feel like you need to really dive deep into God's truth because you don't feel like you're enslaved. But you are. You are. Because anyone who sins is a servant to sin. Sin enslaves. That's what it does. And so here's that moment that they realize that they're enslaved and they didn't even know. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He says, you're like someone trying to get a speck out of someone else's eye and you've got a beam in your eye and you don't even see it. Here, they're enslaved and they don't even see it. Have you ever had one of those moments where you get home and look in the mirror and realize you have something on your face and you think, how long has this been on my face? Has it been on there since lunch? Everyone I talked to since lunch. This past week at the National Association, at the end of the day, I changed that of my shirt and I realized there was pizza on my shirt. And I thought, how long has that been there? How many people did I talk to that I thought were my friends and didn't say anything about the pizza that was on my shirt? They just let me walk around like a fool. This is that moment that Jesus says to them, you don't, you don't think that you're slaves, but you don't see what's on your face. You don't see what's right in front of you. You are enslaved. And the reason I'm talking about you being freed is because you need to be freed. That's what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. And so when I talk to you about your heart, talk to you about the, the seat of your emotions, talk to you about that needing to be redeemed, I'm talking about the anger that flares up within you over the most insignificant of things. I, I think that's something we can all relate to. Listen, just this morning, I about lost my cool over the printer in the church office. It is a miracle that we have anything printed today. Not only because it finally started working, but because before that, I almost took a baseball bat to it. And these things happen, and it, it brings up this stuff in us and shows us that we're not as far along as we thought. And here in this moment, Jesus points out to them, you're not as far along as you think. You think that you're free, and you call your son sons of Abraham, but you are not free. And you need my truth so that you can be free. Can I, can I show you something really neat? Two weeks ago, I had you underline a couple of phrases in Romans chapter 6. Had you underline Romans chapter 6, verse 18, that says, Being then made free from sin, you become servants of righteousness. 6.22 says, But now being made free from sin and become servants unto God, you have your fruit unto holiness. Remember we talked about that? We talked about the words justification. It's like I never sinned when I come to faith in Christ. And then sanctification is this ongoing work that God is doing in me. Being then made free, unjustified, and now being made free, He's still working in me. Jesus uses this exact same word in English and in the original language in John chapter 8 when He says the truth will make you free. In Christ, we are freed from our sin. 
And then God works to free us from that brokenness, that sin nature. That's what Romans 6 was talking about. We are free, but we are being made free. I've been freed from the punishment of my sin, but now I'm being freed from my my nature to sin. You see, when I came to Christ, I was forgiven for all the things that I had done, but there was still this broken man inside of me that wanted to do wrong again. And I was freed from my past. But God is now freeing me from my nature, my propensity to do the wrong thing. We're made free from our sin in Christ, and then we are being made free from our sinful nature through His truth. And part of knowing truth is knowing the truth about God and about us. Knowing the truth about Him and also knowing the truth about who we are. Where we're really at. You know that moment when you hear your own voice on a recording? You hear a voicemail you've left for someone, right? What, what, is, that, what is that instinct that you have? That sounds awful. Now, I know that there's a small sliver of you that are like, that sounds great, I'm going to listen to that again. Because <laughs> you just have an angelic voice. And... But the rest of us, we're like, oh, I don't want to hear myself. When we get honest about who we are and the recordings played back of the decisions that we make and the things that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we react, we say, oh, God, please free me from my nature to do wrong. It's in those moments that we see the beam in our own eye, the stuff on our own face or shirt. That's what's happening for them right now. They're saying, we're sons of Abraham. Jesus says, I knew Abraham. And you're not doing the works of Abraham. You're doing the works of your fathers, which were sinners. Remember we talked about starting where we're at? And if we're honest, a lot of us were like our mom and dad and our grandparents. who may have been good people, but they were imperfect just like we are. And we've picked up their bad habits. And we do the things that they did. And Jesus is saying, you act like your fathers and their fathers before them. Verse 40, he says, you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. Abraham didn't do that. Verse 41, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. Wow. Jesus says, I know that you call yourself a son of Abraham, but in reality, the way you're acting, you're a son of Satan. You're a son of the devil. You're doing the things that your father did and his father did and his father did. You're doing the wrong things that have been in your family tree for generation after generation after generation. And I think if, if all of us would be honest with ourselves right now, if we could roll out our family tree on a table and sit across the table with Jesus, we would say, yeah, there's, there's a brokenness in my family. There's a brokenness in me. And moms and dads, if we're honest, we, we worry about those imperfections that we're handing off to our kids. God wants to free us from that. 
He wants to change that. He wants to make us sons and daughters, not of Abraham, but of God. Princes and princesses, daughters and sons of the king. That's what he wishes to make us. He wishes to free us from that past, to free us from those decisions, to free us from that formation, to free us from the shape of our broken hearts. Now look at verse 43. This is powerful. Jesus says, Why do you not understand my speech? even because you cannot hear my word. Jesus isn't saying, why don't you understand me? Can't you hear me? He's saying, would you listen to me? But you cannot listen to me because you have not believed in me. You see these two words that he uses. He says, you don't understand my speech because you haven't believed my word. He uses a word that means talking or speaking, but his word is logos. It is the truth. It is godly, divine concept. It is the word that we refer to God's word as. He's saying, you can't understand what I'm saying to you right now because you haven't believed the truth. You haven't believed the gospel. You can't appreciate what I'm trying to tell you right now because you haven't believed the gospel that you are a sinner and you need my forgiveness of your sins. And hear this, we cannot appreciate the truth that God wants to change our lives with until we have first believed the truth that He died on a cross to save us from our sins and we desperately needed Him to. We can't appreciate the truth of His Word until we believe His gospel. But when we believe His gospel, we are ready to understand this life-giving and freeing truth. Some of you hear it, and you say, I I need to know more about the Bible. I need to know more about God. That is not going to do you any good unless you have first come to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you haven't come to the place, you recognize, I needed Christ to forgive me. But when that happens... When you recognize that you're enslaved to sin, when you recognize how desperately you need Him, then you're ready to understand this life-giving and freeing truth. When we believe His gospel, we're ready to understand His truth. So this initial important truth, this gospel we must come to understand, we must believe. When we understand that word, we can understand His Speech, and we're then able to take His words and His truth and follow them into paths of righteousness and wholeness and freedom and peace and joy. It doesn't matter how much counseling we do or how much journaling we do or how much we get our emotions out. It doesn't matter if we never come to believe in the gospel. Our heart will not be changed. You can't love God with all of your heart if you've never given it over to Him and recognized, I need you to save me. That's got to happen. There are moments when God's Word is difficult to hear because it stings. But then there are moments that it breathes fresh life into us. How is it that the people could listen to what Jesus was saying and half of them would walk away and say, that changed my life, and the other half would walk away and say, let's kill that guy. How are these, how are these incredible differences coming out of the same group of people? Because some people believe the Gospel. I could understand that Jesus was saying things to them that freed them, and others didn't. 
And they were intimidated and terrified of it. That was the, that was the difference. So if you believe the gospel, if you believe the truth that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins, then this book, His Word, His teaching, His truth can free you and transform you. If you'll marinate in this truth. You know, it's interesting, every generation since the founding of the church has had its share of theological controversies. And the church will go through times where people doubt the doctrine of the Trinity. Go through times when people doubt the doctrine of of Christ's divinity. Go through times where people doubt the authenticity of the account of creation. And those things come and go from generation to generation, but something that every generation faces in the church is a controversy over the truth of God's Word. In my generation, it's been the, the lifting up of these supposed Gnostic Gospels that they were left out of God's Word. That's been debunked. And my father's generation, it was the translation issue. When my grandfather's generation, it was theological liberalism. In his father's generation, it was higher criticism. And in every generation, there is this attack on God's Word. Why? Because evil knows that this is what frees us and changes us. And strategically, he attacks it again and again and again. And that's been happening from the very beginning. And for that very reason, when Paul wrote to Timothy, his apprentice in the faith, who was pastoring in Ephesus, he wrote to him in chapter 3, he says, You have been trained up in God's Word since you were a child. Do not depart from it. Because it brings life and it is profitable for your correction and your doctrine do not depart from it timothy why does satan constantly want to bring us into doubt of god's word because this is what changes our lives and if he can get us to doubt it then we'll stay away from it and then for those of us that he can't convince to doubt god's word he simply tempts us to neglect god's word If he can't get us to doubt God's word, he'll be happy with getting us to neglect God's word. And there's some of you here that if I were to say, do you believe that the Bible is God's word? You would say, absolutely, amen. You'd proudly say that you believe that this is God's word, that it can change lives. But when I ask you, when was the last time that you have read it or studied it? your answer is much more timid. Because while Satan has not caused you to doubt God's Word, he's definitely tempted you to neglect it. And even in the moments that we have time, this is not what we marinate in. This is not what we bask in. This is not what we delight in. You shall know the truth And the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. This truth can make us free. This truth can free our hearts of envy and jealousy and anger and bitterness and worry and anxiety. This truth can transform our lives. 
Let's not neglect it. If you recognize that there's work in your heart that God needs to do, if you recognize that you need to slow down your hurried pace of life, don't just slow down. Slow down to interact with God's truth. To allow it to soak into all of the pieces of your heart. To allow it to unravel all of the layers of the nasty onion that is our heart. Can I give you a couple of examples about how this has made a difference in my own life? After I graduated Bible college, after I had studied this book for a degree, I heard a message probably seven or eight years ago by Matt Chandler on Hebrews chapter 11, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But it was on this small set of verses towards the end of Hebrews 11 that I hadn't really paid that much attention to because Hebrews 11 has all these incredible verses in it about faith is the substance of things hoped for and has this record of all these people who have had great faith and God did incredible things for them. But then at the end, it talks about those who had faith and yet they faced great adversity. And by thinking on those verses, God changed my heart to see that obedience is success. That believing in God is success. Not victory, but faith. He changed my heart. Several years ago, we we preached through the Beatitudes here at our church and Sunday morning services, and I had never looked at the Beatitudes like that, and I saw for the first time just the incredible beauty of those passages and where it calls us to be poor in spirit, and God convicted me of my own pride, and I'm preaching this message, but I'm the one that's falling under conviction, and the altar call comes, and I go to the altar because God's working on me. Why? Because this truth changes our lives and frees us from our brokenness and our sin. This is what we must marinate in. This is what will cure the brokenness of our heart and make us whole. And when we come to Christ, He instantly forgives us of our sin and our standing before God as though He had never sinned. But throughout the rest of our lives, He uses His truth, guided by His Spirit, to make us more like His Son. Till we can come to the place where we love God with all our heart. Every piece of our heart. The previous message was recorded during our morning worship service. Feel free to share or reproduce this recording, but please do not charge for the content or alter it in any way. This podcast is recorded by Mike Klein. The message was preached by Pastor Daniel Edwards, and I am Kara Zent. Thank you.